Hey, yo, what the f***? This is a palace right here. The late night flight is paid for by the following. Hello. I have three questions for you. When you're talking NBA with your white co-workers, do you say that Dallas Mavericks point guard Luka Doncic is the best player in the NBA to position yourself as non-threatening in the office? And when black people think that you talk like a white person, do you reply, hey, hey, you would too if you graduated from an HBCU. Are you Rachel Dozer? If you do or are any one of these three, then you are suffering from the contribution of white privilege. Hi, my name is Nasua Nuru, and if you are looking to go from Wayne Newton to Wayne Brady, please give us a call at 1-800-HELL-NO-CAMS. That's 1-800-HELL-NO-CAMS. Give us a call now before you turn into T-Bigs. Everybody on a mountain, everybody marching for a young nigga like me to get tsunami on it. I'ma get it, I'ma win a baby. I'll be on my curry till I crash a bird 40 on the Yeah, I'm acting dirty if it's at the appellation to the appellation. I'ma do whatever that they take to make a black a nation. Hold on. Wow. Good evening, everyone. This is Amira, and this is When Women Speak. Um, we have a phenomenal lineup for you this evening. The ladies are lining up in the VIP room, all ready to go. So how about, how about if we just start this show this evening? I was spent from the rib of Adam. Therefore, straightening me means to break me. But you'll try. I might be, I might be like Queen and Zynga sending my arrows to pierce souls and gather up the remains, for I am, I am a gatherer. And you, you be a hunter, you are relentless in trying to make me your prey. And when, and when we pray together, you, you, you be soothed by my tongue. My tongue is as sharp as spikes, but wet, wet and soft to you, it be a comforter. He, he sent me to the world to support backs. She, she to nurture loves. She, she attracts fairies from fairy tales and wraps her arms around worlds, proving God chose her because this, this, this is not a job for the meek. And I say to you, Marhaba, welcome to When Women Speak. She is a New Jersey educator, poet, photographer, and author of the book, Breathing Through Concrete. You can also catch her When People Speak events, streaming live on Facebook and the YouTube channel, When People Speak. Every month, when herself and other poets breathe life pieces into your heart. She is known by famed doctor, Dr. Zane Abdullah, as a capturer of pain, hope, more pain, and the yearning of desire. This is Sister Amira Shabazz Bilal, and thank you for being on with us. Hanif, start the show. Um, I just want to kind of get an idea of, you know, with everything that's going on in the world and all of the things that you have going on, uh, where are you finding your creativity? Well, it's very nice to be on your program, um, Hanith and Naz. Um, I want to just thank you, first of all, for having me. And the question is, where am I finding my inspiration for creativity? Um, the response for me is when God decided to shut things down. Um, I'm wondering who wouldn't find 
the moments for the creative aspects, meaning we were always asking for time. If I had time, I'd do this. If I had time, I'd do that. And here we are given that, we're given just that, the time. So the inspiration came from having those moments, um, viewing what was going on around me, um, being in volatile situations with injustices um, amongst our people, Black Lives Matter, finding COVID um, um, impossible at times, losing family members, losing friends, having friends that have to work in the medical field and also um, friends who are actually morticians that were reporting back that um, they were overloaded with the deaths of people and everyone you know is knowing someone that has had COVID and in most cases have passed away. So the inspiration comes from the pain and having to live with that knowledge that uh, we're not in control. We're not in control of anything. And as always, we can only reflect and have control over what we do and how we respond. So the response for me was, getting deep into this writing, finishing the book, um, being published on multiple avenues. I have several exhibits during this um, shutdown time. So it just seems like when one door closed, another one opened in terms of that creative world. And I'm, I'm extremely grateful. Absolutely. Um, and then in that, you know, whole process of you seeing the injustices that's going on with uh, us as a people in general, um, I'm quite sure that the persistent um, injustices that affect our sisters and our women uh, is that's where you kind of pull this uh, uh, When Women Speaks initiative together? Well, actually, the platform for When Women Speak was in existence prior to COVID shutdown, and it was birthed out of um, the need to have a safe space to showcase women empower women and um, just make it a comfortable environment for women who are out there with the creative nature to just come out and share their, their, their work. Um, it's like when you empower women, you empower the world. Mm -hmm. So that space is specifically to make sure that women are, are nurtured and are getting whatever it is they need to find that voice inside of them. And find find their purpose sometimes, even you know, for life. Um, I don't know if that really answered your question, but I can give you the backstory of how when women speak began. Oh, please sure. do, please do. So, um, in my college days, I had a friend who was in uh, uh, theatrics, and she was phenomenal. She did a one woman play um, about the autobiography or the biography of, of Jane Pittman. Um, when I tell you this girl was phenomenal, she was phenomenal. But as years had gone by, you know, um, life sometimes take a toll, takes a toll on us and we have to do what we have to do. Um, I was a poet many, many years later, um, just doing the circuits in Newark. And she contacted me and said, you know, I'd like to be a part of things, but I don't speak in front of men. Mm. So I was like, you know, you were you were really, really good back in the day when I knew you. And then looking at some of the things that she has gone through um, in life that kind of like just made her forget who she really was. Mm -hmm. um, I, I just felt moved by having that space available for her. 
So I said, well, look, I'll tell you what, I, I host men and women creatives, but I will have a night where there's only women here. Mm -hmm. um, there'll be only women on the stage. There'll be only women in the audience. Would you come and share your talent with us? So she said, well, sure. If, that, if you can guarantee me that there will be no men present, um, I definitely would come. Now, remind you, we were already hosting shows. Mm -hmm. The night that it was closed to men, there was standing room only. Wow. There was nowhere to sit. There was nowhere to stand. There was nowhere to park. The open mic list just kept growing, growing until finally I had to say, look, ladies, we got to go home. So <laughs> <laughs> um, I sat back and I reflected after seeing the outpour um, by women of, of all backgrounds. Right. I, I didn't know that it was that important until that night. And that was the birth of When Women Speak. And ever since that night, it has been a program that has set aside safe space for women. We have all women performers. We have all women audience. We have all women vendors. And we host the show in a venue that is owned and operated by women. How do you envision men supporting that movement? Um, I don't know how this is going to come off, but I'm just going to say it. <laughs> we don't need it. <laughs> in, ter in terms of when women speak, we definitely were in a vein that if this is a women's, this is a women's thing. Um, when I tell you brothers have tried to come into the show, the women stop them at the door. Mm -hmm. What are you doing here? This is for women. Um, Amira, I, I just have to interject. Do you have a story, a live story that, that our audience can hear about these men that have, you know, just tried to, you know, I don't mean to use these type of terms, but have broke down barriers, trying to break down barriers just to be in this vicinity? I can give you names, but I won't. Okay. They're <laughs> prominent in the poetry circuit, but they showed up at the door knowing that it was a women's only venue. They had heard so much about it. Now, remember, before COVID, it was closed, um, meaning we weren't live. We weren't streaming live on Facebook. You might get clippings of videos of women performing, but you would never get the whole show um, shown out to the public like that because it was a space for women. Um, and I was very selective about what pieces I allowed to be videoed and put on YouTube. So they would come to the door and it's like, can I buy a ticket? And the bouncers at the door were like, no, um, unless you come here in a Kimar or a wig and a skirt, you can't come <laughs> in, bro. <laughs> so like at least three or four. And then we had instances where men were standing outside, discounting the women. Couldn't believe that there's every single show standing room only. There was no, no, no space once the, the program got started. Um, so this one time, uh, because there are a few male poets that I absolutely love, um, right, right. I wanted them to come and I wanted the, the women to experience what it felt like to hear real men, quote, speak and to be poetic and to do the romance thing, which I think is kind of lost in some of the culture today. Like from my time, we, you know, our music was all about, you better woo this woman if you want her on your arm. That's and right. It's kind of a little bit different now. No, um, woo, woo, is, woo is definitely much different than the woo back then. Woo, woo, woo is definitely different. <laughs> and we need to start thinking about ourselves differently. And so this is one of the other purposes for when women speak. So um, this February, Black History Month, um, 
uh, Valentine's Day, which I do not celebrate, but however, love is in the air. Um, I chose that month for the men to do the show. So this meant that I picked, I picked prominent poets, poets that when you hear them speak, your mouth is open, your mind is open, your heart is open. And it's like, wow, 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 wow. Um, they were lined up, the brothers, you know, to come in. And that night they were performing and the women were to just absorb and just be wooed by the poetry being um, performed by the brothers. Nobody came. Mm. The place was empty. No tickets sold. There, of, of course, there were like maybe 10 people there. When, I, when I'm telling you that each and every other program, there was no space, no seat no standing room this particular night when the brothers came out to do their poetry there was no one the women just felt that when we say when women speak that's what we wanted and i learned the lesson that night that when something isn't broke maybe it's not such a good idea to fix it no matter how i felt um, about these brothers that were were um, coming with their A game because they were definitely excellent poets. I felt that the women um, lost out, but this is a platform and it does exactly what it needs to do. It's a support for women. Now that it's virtual, um, it streams live on Facebook so anybody can be in the audience. Mm -hmm. And this is also useful because now the brothers got to see that this was not a meeting of the he man or he she man haters club right these were real voices real hearts um real women speaking truths and they were able now to partake in what kind of what happens in the venue for when women speak now that it's live on facebook so um there you have it that's how when women speak was birthed so 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 Basically, we just got to mind our business and support from afar, but, you know, keep oh, 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 wait, you can buy a ticket. Okay. That's part of my marketing plan. Brothers, oh, buy, tickets oh, your, oh, oh, <laughs> brothers oh. buy tickets for your women. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm, I'm definitely. Want a woman, buy a ticket. She'll be your woman when she come out. That's for sure. You know Absolutely. what? I like your style. I don't even know you because that is exactly what I told Rita, which is one of the poets that have been, you know, that have been at your uh, at your yeah. events. Yeah. And yeah. she was talking about that. She was like, I don't understand why these men are pushing themselves so hard to be a part of this event. I said, let me tell you something. I'm not saying that I'm the champion of women or I'm the best man, but I'm pretty sure if one of those women would ever give me the privilege to have their time, I have no problem with waiting till after the event is over and we can hang out after. I don't, you know, I, I wouldn't just do that. I wouldn't push myself. I wouldn't make it that serious, but I would definitely buy two or three tickets for her and her friends for them to come. Definitely. She would love you forever. There's another thing you can do. You can, we can have roses at the desk when they come in. What's your name? Angela. Oh, Angela. This is from brother Nas. This is from brother Hanif. Ah, this rose is for you, sis. I like that. I love Imagine that. that. Imagine oh, the reward you would get for that. <laughs> Let's go. Late night flight is donating roses to the next event. You already know. I was just, yo, three bouquets, three bouquets is going down for him. It's going down. Uh, we got another question, right, Hanif, about the poem? 
Yeah, so uh, Sister Mary, you're you're a poet in your own right, and um, I was trying to do my little research and background information on you before the interview, and uh, came across a, a mutual friend. Uh, uh, you were on the Into the Lyrics with uh, God Sent, uh, yeah. Mayoa, My, mm-hmm. and you were discussing your poem, My Son, and yeah. I, I, I gravitate toward that towards that, and I thought you know it was very interesting in the manner where like throughout the poem, it's like you're very nurturing and protective of your son. Mm -hmm. And you also came from a perspective where it's like, you know, it's in general, like I understand you have your own sons, but you're a mother, like the consummate mother protector, you know what I'm saying? Mother hen, so to speak, Uh, you know, no offense. So if that's, no, no, I didn't, none taken, none taken. So, you know, um, Again, I'm, I'm, I'm always constantly trying to figure out how to be supportive and how, as a man, I can show up to relieve some of the burden for the woman in our lives. Because we, we, we have to work together in some instances. And I feel like, you know, there's a lot of instances where our women are taking on the role of the protector and it should be us you know, or we should be stepping up a little bit more. So from that perspective of a mother, how do you feel like men could do a better job at stepping in to relieve some of your worry? Well, that's interesting. Um, I, 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 I've never thought of how that poem came off to a man listening to it, because for sure, every time it's performed, and now that I think back, women come up and women are in the audience with tears in their eyes. And it's it's women that kind of gravitate and, and, and want to hold onto their heart when that, that, that particular poem is being recited. Um, and it was never my intention to have it um, understood that men are not in the picture. It's just the poem speaks of what a black mother feels when her son or sons in my case are not at home and are trying to live regular lives mm-hmm. when all around them there's death, death for them. And death sometimes comes in the color of black and sometimes it comes in the color of blue. And sometimes it just comes in the color of, I don't know who I am because there's not another black male out there that looks like me. Now, my sons have a father. Mm-hmm. Their father um, has, you know, we're married. We've been married for many, many years. So their father has always been in the home. But it doesn't mean that their friends have the same scenario. And it doesn't mean right. that the people in the street care whether or not you have a father. Um, so in terms of how can men support this whole legacy um we need to begin to reteach our communities and reteaching our communities means when you see something you say something when you see that brother out there the young ones you grab them by by the coattail and redirect them when you see there's negative activity um it also means educating yourself so that you can be the man that's in the heart and the mind of the woman that you're trying to pursue, trying to be with, trying to stay with so that she doesn't feel she has to compensate 
you know, and this is something that we, we, this is part of, of our legacy as well. Like what we've been given over the years since way back when our people were brought here, like we were just snatched apart, ripped apart and women somehow had to carry that. And now it seems like in today's society with relationships, our young women, and I'm, I'm very observant to the fact that they are kind of accepting to just about anything. Mm-hmm. So that means that they will have a man and that man is a temporary thing. And it doesn't matter if that temporary thing leaves a permanent thing, such as a child. It's, it, it's, they don't look at it like this is long-term, right. like this is a family, like whatever benefits you bro benefits me. So then we got to compensate again and we got to be that parent, that mother and that father for that child. So my poems kind of tend to speak of these types of relationships and the broken child syndrome or the legacy of black males. So I'm trying to bring it back to to answer your question. What do I think the men can do? And my response, I guess my 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 singular response is be men. And it doesn't matter if it's harmful to the woman to hear that, I'm sorry, women out there, women, feminists, whatever, men need to be in charge and they need to leave. Hey, yo, what the f***? This is a poly right here. Yo, what's going on, my polis? I hope you are feeling this interview. And this is only part one. Wait, one second. Smarts, yo, come my music on. What's up? That's what I'm talking about. Please subscribe to The Late Night Flight on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. We are a hip-hop variety show that are looking to point out all the absurdities that are going on in America right now. We are top 200 in improv podcasts in the country. That's right. Right over here in the Northeast, making it happen. Please subscribe to us. Subscribe to us. It helps us towards our efforts in having a career in podcast, radio, broadcasting. If you do not have any of those platforms, please hit us up on www.redcircle.com and give us a like on our Facebook business page, The Late Night Flight. Now, before we get into part two, let's hear a piece from the author of Breathing Through Concrete. Amira Shabazz Bilal. Here is my son. Should you live or should you die? No tears from these eyes shall cry. I know legacies. I bent at towering, bending trees, resistant to my spreading legs, birthing you. Into tough black mud so your melanin clung And smeared in captured spaces left bright by sun Untouched You, my son I breathe into your soul strength and breath and life And legacies of short existences while ancestors held you down Held you down so that you would not drown In this life They call them kings, yet they strangle them with rings as streets grab your ankles as you track through jungles just to make it home. And the hunters, and the hunters draw their bows and strike limbs through shouts of Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter. But you matter to me. 
that color passed on legacies of blackness, my favorite color it used to be. I fold my black dress, stroking it gently with soft, callous, cushioned hands. Palms up in prayer, matching garments with veils, waiting to cover whales. Your color be white so angels can find you and carry you through the night. And my eyes, my eyes don't close as long as you are out there. Black mothers, your sons through tats and war scars, their hours don't martyr your love, send them forth and above. They deserve life, legacy torn. Legacies torn, legacies. You cannot have my king. I refuse to sing songs of sorrow. Son, if you make it not through the valley, fear not, I will stand tearless at the rally, spear in hand. No fear, trigger on the spot, and no fear in my heart. I planned this for some time. What? So, I want to start with one of your excerpts. It's called Breathing. Since you talk, since you just said to me and Hanif that you want us to speak, speak these words rather than, rather than just read it to yourself, I'm going to speak them out loud. Do it. Give me some interpretation on what you're talking about. But I do have a question for this one because it's very short. Uh, Hanif, you don't know yet, but this breathing one I'm about to read is short. It's almost like a haiku, but check me out. So, breathing. I want my feet to be grounded. I want my roots reclaimed. I want to breathe life again. Do you do yoga? No. <laughs> no, I need to do some yoga. <laughs> I'm like, what is this? I'll say, I just did some yoga on New Year's Eve. I think she should join me. What is going on? <laughs> it, it's everything that you said. I mean, you can't even find your purpose if any of those things that are spoken about in that very short poem is missing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it seems like it, it, the poem definitely is an African American experience. So okay. it's like, it's like, man, we're so disconnected at this point um, until we can grab back and find our full purpose of living and and life, which includes um, by demand breathing. Right. Well, speaking of speaking of the African American experience, let me. I want to read this excerpt. You said, "Besides guys from the hood still trying to convince the world of Ebonics for the ebony hue, I'm going to take it that the N word is not something that the African American male should be, or women for that matter, should be spitting now in these days." Um, I, I might be sounding like somebody from the dark ages, but I will not ever ever condone the use of that word. Right. Mm-hmm. It, it, the origin, it, it's just too cutting for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, you know, like I'm, I'm 60 something at this point. So it's just like, um, uh, just having lived through enough stuff to know that you can't make that a term of endearment. I don't care if you change it to, um, whatever, however they try to justify it in, 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 uh, current culture, it is not okay. I also was listening to you speak about your, um, thoughts on the use of the word black. Mm-hmm. And I kind of, you know, was hearing you say like you you want to you identify as a human first and black kind of 
it takes away something from who we are as a people. So how do you externally identify your pride for blackness without using the word black? I'm so caught up with that. At this point, I can honestly say that I, I don't have um, an answer, like other than I'm human. I, like I can't be black because then it confuses me like black. What is black? What is and, 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 and what is it that um, has ever, even from us, anybody right. has ever been given in terms of uh, uh, positiveness? Um, if we're talking about it being a color, well, I'm far from being black. In fact, if I don't open my mouth most of the time from the way that I dress, people don't, don't necessarily always associate me with being black. Mm. Um, and then is black just somebody that's, um, of, of, from the African continent or has ancestry from the As African continent that lives here in the United States so that you can label them so that you can determine that, um, they're a subset or a subcategory of something else. So then you leave the American continent and you go to Africa, the continent of Africa, and it's like you don't fit in there either. So like, what the heck is this? I don't I don't even like the term African-American. So I'm like all cut off in this. In Dear Broken Girl, you said you play with broken toys in a broken world and expect nothing less than perfection. My question to you is why do young girls and young boys go through that? What's what's that about? We fed that line. And we're fed it and we swallow it, we chew it up, um, the whole thing without ever really thinking about what does that really mean? Case in point, probably both of you, your parents, your teachers said, get good grades in school. When you grow up, you could be president. And Not the president when Barack part, Obama to <laughs> that seat. Everybody's like, well, damn, we can be president. You didn't really believe that, right. you know, although you believed it. Um, so in terms of, of, of the world being broken, you know, that your existence as an African American, a black American, um, child in an inner city, cause this book is, is, these are stories of children, um, from inner city. Um, you know, that your existence isn't in totality, totality like other ethnicities, but if you were able to close your eyes and wish upon a star or whatever the case may be, it is perfect nonetheless. And you are expecting perfection like every one of us, parents, grandparents, we're expecting you to come out of that wilderness hole when we know all along that those are broken pieces. And if you come out, it is by the grace of God. If you come out whole, if you come out, in terms of quote unquote successful um, an experience that most of our sisters have dealt with. And it is a me too kind of poem Okay, where this young girl, and, and let me just put out there that most of the people, most of the characters in, in the poem are real. They're real. They're, they're based on real people. Right. Um, this particular person, child um, was molested mm. and was molested through the whole time of her early childhood up until 12, 13 years old and couldn't figure out as an adult why relationships don't work out. Like there's a line in that poem where she talks about she never kisses ever. Mm. There's yeah, a line in that poem that. Mm -hmm. that talks about where she never takes off her clothes ever. And in terms of even having um, relations is it's with the clothes on. Mm. And 
as she traverses through life, nobody ever asks, well, you know, what you, you, you're dealing like this, why? And it's the trauma of having been molested by a person that she trusted mm-hmm. and not being believed by other adults that she trusted. And so she was just totally broken. And the mother in that poem was broken too because she knew. Mm-hmm. She knew the girl was being molested by the husband. And um, her reaction was, why would he go for a child when he got a woman here? Mm-hmm. Damn, not, not, not the whole molestation part, huh? Mm-mm, at My all. Goodness. Fires of memories, you said quite clearly, I learned to miss you. Can you describe an, uh, an experience of how one can gain that acknowledgement of missing someone in a positive manner? Okay, so that one cuts real, real deep. Um, that poem was written shortly after my mother passed away. Mm-hmm. And two months prior to my mother passing away, um, I, like I have my children and I also raised a couple of my um, nieces and nephews. My nephew was shot and killed in Newark. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, leaving a gas station and, you know, everybody saw it, but nobody said anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so you are on this earth with a soul that is housed in a body that knows other souls. And as you go into your life, go through your life, you get connected and more rooted with those other souls that you are familiar with. And if one leaves abruptly, it is trauma. Mm. It is trauma. And having had somebody um, succumb to violence and then having my mother um, pass away within months, uh, she found out she had cancer and within six months she was, she was gone. And um, here's the, the the biggest part of all of that. We share the same birthday. Mm. So this is three years now. I, I cannot celebrate a birthday. And so um, you learn to miss people means that you don't, you don't give up mourning, mm-hmm. but you learn how to survive and not have each and every day, each and every thought guided by the, the pain of those types of trauma, losing somebody to violence and losing your mom um, to a situation such as my mother leaving within you know that short period of time and having a great mom, a supportive mom and a mother who um, bore me in difficulty, right. breech birth. That's the first poem I was born, breech birth, um, to a 16-year-old. And on the same day of her birthday, and it's, it's just, you just have to learn how to um, carry on. Amira, one last question, and we'll uh, get you out of here. Here is my question. You are a photographer as well. Mm-hmm. Could you give us an image, whether you have this picture already, or maybe it's a picture that you can envision for us in the audience. What would be your picture, whether you have it already in your photo book? Or like I said, it could be something that's vivid in the in the future. What would be your picture of pure utopia in your mind? Pure utopia is there's an image. I'm, I'm glad that you helped me with that because I was like struggling. I was like, oh, my God, let's say there is a, a photo that probably no one else on Earth likes likes this photo besides me. But it is a moment that somebody caught me um, reciting a poem. And in that moment, I was in that space and in that time with full emotion on, with the switch on. 
and my eyes are closed. And if you were to see that, that picture, it's a poem in itself. And the peace that, that comes from being able to, number one, find your voice successfully. Number two, share your voice with others. Number three, not be afraid anymore to let somebody know what's on the inside. That is pure paradise. That's amazing. Amira, can you tell everyone how to get your book, just where to find you, all that good stuff? Sure. Um, the book is on Amazon. Um, of course, Amazon is like, you know, some relative that takes a percentage. But <laughs> <laughs> he's out there if you um, do not have um, access to Facebook or um, Instagram, because uh, I can send you an autographed copy um, if you would DM me in either one of those social media platforms. Right now, I don't have a, a website. I'm in the process of, of redoing it. So the social media platform is where you can find me and get your autographed uh, copy by in, uh, my inbox. Otherwise, just go ahead to Amazon. It's Breathing Through Contract. Breathing Through Concrete by Mira Shabazz Bilal. And those are the ways that um, right now that you can actually get a copy of this book. It's phenomenal. Hey, yo, what the f***? This is a poly right here. What's going on, my pilots? Now, before you reach your destination, don't forget to go to your Apple or Google podcast app to subscribe to the Late Night Flight podcast. Again, please subscribe to the Late Night Flight podcast. Every subscription helps. And you can do the same thing on Spotify. How about that? Now, before we land, we want to hear from a pilot from one of the When Women Speak events. Here is Callie, the poet. I'd like to believe that I love myself and that my intentions are good, but my best interests are no longer my primary priority. My psyche has become my antagonist, the anti-hero to my own healing and anti-psychotic narcotics have been both the source of my struggle as well as my quick fix, though I can't recall how long I've been suffering this way anymore. Memory loss is an underlying consequence of selling the integrity of your conscience for the sake of your dissociated consciousness. In other words, it's difficult to be spiritual and sedated at the same time, but it's also impossible to be manic and mystical simultaneously. So lately, my fundamental concern is finding the most potent prescription to effectively snuff out the fire in my emotions until my heart is too detached to be broken. I just don't want to be hurt again. And I hope that God understands. I never intended to be a pharmaceutical grade junkie. I'm truly conflicted about being dependent on drug dealers with PhDs and the ability to condense my entire existence down to a disordered diagnosis. However, my feeling is it's so much safer to be numb than to be aware of my feelings. And ain't that the story of every addict? I think my therapist is afraid of my presence. Either that or he's drenched in pity. Either way, I don't like how softly he speaks to me. I smell the sour in his sympathy. 
He always hands me a box of tissues before he even says hello. He knows I'll probably start crying before I can reply. It's not grief that betrays my normally indifferent disposition. Disposition. My tears are the remnants of exposed exhaustion from bearing a generational burden of psychosis and secrets. I wear my trauma like a scarlet letter and in my own sadistic way, I've made a martyr of my misery because it's the only thing in my life no one's ever taken from me. These wounds are the only way I know who I am. Oh, man. Seems like Callie don't like it when you speak softly, okay? Don't speak softly to Callie. Don't do it. Next up, let's take these dreams to trips to faraway places with the one and only Mia X. This is, and we are, The Late Night Flight. Intuition and mind power Dreams of trips to far away places Where dirty jean dreams are flipping on mattresses Laced in wonder Ignorant to the broken glass of doubt On a street corner I can be a dog Don't tie me to a pole Let my bark be a soundtrack Added to a more whole you Acknowledge my music I turned your green grass blue When you were hanging my brothers I am a jade bird Deserving every godly ounce of shade. You heard my song when I was perched on your window. Intuition and mind power. Dreams of trips to far away places. Like the core of your vibration pressing on a piece of paper. Adored in a memory buzzing at the ears in a black and white park called orange for poets and babies in need of nature, culture, food, a remedy for the enemy, blessings of peace, leaking life force like glue, knotting us together by our survival thrust on a stage in a blue dress, reaching with a cowrie shell eye toward the rest of myself, herself, himself, yourself, ourselves. Three, three, three. I understand, understand, understand who you be, be, be. Intuition and mind power. Dreams of trips to faraway places. Places my kitchen can't hold. I am a pen. I have been led by the wind to you. My breath is a cool breeze. My tears are cool rain. My love is a never-ending prayer of hope to whisper your name to the tops of trees. Trees. Hey, yo, what the f***? This is a palace right here. Thinking of big dreams, dreaming that maybe I live in a big house with white picket fencing. My husband, my daughter, my son, and a dog showing that I love them all. Barely portrait on the wall, and then you waiting on call. <laughs> but I'm stuck on a mat, still getting to the back. Home extend on my lap, nine to five on my back. This shit ain't where it's at. Go put me on the map, gotta give me a pack. Setting goals on the rack, I do everything but cap. Giving up, what's that? Huh? What do I see when I look in the mirror? Bad bitches, then he's sewing that hair No acne, my skin clear Check my makeup, fix my hair Stay blessed cause I'm still here This lady's hope, this shit ain't fair Forget I don't even care What do I see when I look in the mirror? Bad bitches, then he's sewing that hair No acne, my skin clear Check my makeup, fix my hair Stay blessed cause I'm still here This lady's hope, this shit ain't fair Forget I don't even care 
Cause it's supposed to be worth it Every day is a mess, but it's supposed to be worth it I was in my sex, I don't put the work in Bitch, I know the things, so I gotta keep working Yeah, yeah Ferrari, yeah, yeah. Buy a house so big, I want to tell the neighbors I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Now that's a little kid shit. I'ma buy the hood back plus show hood, and that's rich. Have it so far up, they could pay their rent. Give a job to sis, give a job to bro. Give a minimum hope, figure out how to cope with all the bullshit. Meeting us at the door, 401 years later. We was killing it and you ruined it, you a goddamn hater. If you in a Kool-Aid, then tell me what's a goddamn flavor. You ain't no goddamn savior. My guy's real, not paper. 101 years later. I done put the work in. The job never done, so I gotta keep working.